Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This episode is sponsored by Indeed. Finding the people you need to help your business thrive doesn't have to be a second job. With Indeed, you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So reclaim your time and find the people you need fast. Start hiring now at Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Welcome to Wagon Wheel. I am Jared Kimber. I will be for most of this show. This is the podcast where you have a question about cricket and you ask me that question via Patreon, probably. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Or you uh, you hang around in the YouTube page live. Thank you to all of you who are in the YouTube at the moment as well. In fact, I think we've already got a bunch. Um, but if you're desperate to get your question um, answered at the moment in the YouTube page obviously super chats are the best option but you know you might just put a chat a question in there i might randomly find it all these things are possible but let's start with the patreon and to begin with prashant says which current day cricketer would you love to commentate with broad ashwin or anyone else um ashwin definitely uh dimuth karunaratni would be really really interesting as well I've always wondered what Jimmy Neesham might be like as as a commentator. Um, I don't know if he has commentated before, and, and it's not as special. Um, I think me and Benny Howe could be a quite an interesting pairing if if there was any poor random broadcast uh, that would put us out. But you never really know. And, and you know, Gareth Batty and Jay Dernback, try to think, you know, other, even Harmy, you know, people who I'm you know, really like commentating with and really like chatting cricket with. I don't think I would have thought that before I had commentated with them. Um, you don't, there's sometimes when I think, you know, Mickey Arthur was someone I really wanted to commentate with. I really enjoyed commentating with him. Um, but it, there, quite often I do think, I, I won't name the player, <laughs> but there was one particular player I was really excited to commentate with and he wasn't particularly into it and it was a particularly good session. So I don't, I don't think it's an easy thing to work out if someone is going to be good at it, especially a player. It might be a little bit easier with media and and everyone else, but I think with a player, it can be a little bit tricky. Uh, but yeah, Ashwin would be fantastic to commentate with. Um, as I said, Karuna Ratno is another one that sort of comes off my top of my head. Zampa might be another good one. Um, trying to think of players I've had really good conversations with. Uh, but yeah, I think those are the ones that, that um, come to mind pretty much straight away. 
Hamza said, who is the worst regular keeper in the international game amongst full members? It's probably Lorcan Tucker, isn't it? Um, is it Lorcan Tucker? Oh my God, I get all my... Yeah, Lorcan Tucker. Um, hmm. Is there anyone else out there who's Bangladesh's current wicketkeeper? They've had some doozies. But yeah, I would have thought Lorcan Tucker would have been a considerable amount worse than anyone else. Obviously, KL Rule's not very good when he does it. Um, there's that many. There was there was a space a couple of years ago. I thought they were worse. I don't think I have thought they were as bad now um, as they had been earlier. But yeah, um, I can't think of anyone else off the top of my head. I'm sure the comments will correct me, um, and I can, you know, head o- head over there and, and see what people say. But my first thought is that there isn't anyone, um, you know, traditionally that is uh, that. I don't think it's the same as what we have seen um, in the past, where we have seen a couple of wicketkeepers that just shouldn't be holding the gloves at international level. Yeah, and I'm not just talking about David Boone, Raul Dravid, but you know, certainly uh, talking about someone keeps saying Cameron Akmal, but he's not an international wicketkeeper anymore. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And Cameron Akmal was bad, but I don't think he was as bad as you know. Uh, certainly, some of the the, the more fringy wicketkeepers that were out there. You know, some of which just shouldn't have been behind the stumps at all. I think Cameron Akbar was a bad permanent wicketkeeper, um, but I don't think he was a bad, uh, you know, he was bad maybe compared to some of the others. I'm not also not sure if he was as bad as, for instance, Logan Tucker as well. Um, but it maybe, maybe we're just getting to the point now where wicketkeeping has got so much worse that we are, it's actually harder to see the worst players stand out than it once was, whereas maybe perhaps it used to be harder to see the best wiki keepers stand out. I don't know. Now I've said that out loud, it could just be words. I mean, they're all words. Some of them are sounds. Lee says, now what will seem has become so prominent. What do you think we'll see? Uh, do you think we'll see any genuine swing bowlers come through in the future? As a swing bowler myself, I would hate to see the art die. I don't think the art will die, Lee, because it's too useful in uh, T20 and one-day cricket. Certainly, T20 cricket, where you're going to make your money. I think if you have the ability to swing the ball in one direction in T20 cricket and you can add a second direction and you know you can bowl at 85 to 90 miles an hour, you should st- certainly still have a career. So, I don't think the art will die. I think it was already dying, though, D, well before uh, did I said D, Lee, well before the wobble ball was coming through. I think I don't think we've had a genuine outswing bowler be successful since young Sim Southie? I'm trying to think. I, I don't, Hilfen Elf was maybe that rough period, but not quite as good as Southie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think we've had a genuine outswing bowler really come through the game in, when was Hilfen House? Probably late 90s, uh, like late 90s, late uh, 2010, 2009, did he? Yeah, 2008 probably. Southie's around that same era. And I think if you look at it now, it's. I think you'd be hard pressed to think that that's about to change. I think outswing bowling is an old fashioned for well, not out, just outswing, as you say, um, uh, swing bowling in general. But I think outswing, being an outswing dependent bowler, is a bit of an old fashioned thing. I do wonder. I, I, I wasn't very good at outswing, but I could swing the ball quite a bit. You know, got that gifts from my father, and I do remember in the nets occasionally. I, I was, you know. Outswing bowlers are always told to bowl as close to the stumps as possible and then, you know, keep LBW and bold in play and then obviously swing the ball away to the slips. 
when I would bowl wide of the wicket occasionally, it usually played with people's minds a little bit because the angle was coming in, but the ball was actually straightening in the air. And we've already seen that, you know, with Akshar Patel is a perfect example of that. Someone coming really, really wide when he's delivering the ball. We're now seeing that with, you know, bowls who bowl the leg cutter as well, coming really, really wide. There is a possibility in test cricket for someone who is brilliant at the outswinger to come very, very wide of the crease and actually create that sort of Akshar Patel angle, which is it actually feels like he's bowling a straight delivery when you're facing him, but it's still moving away. And so it's beating your outside edge. And then sometimes it's beating your inside edge as well because you're playing, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a little bit lost because of this new angle. If someone did that, that would work. Obviously, bowling outswing to um, uh, bowling outswing to uh, left-handed batters from around the wicket certainly is a good tactic. And eventually, we will have more people like Wazamakram who, with their left arm, can swing it both ways. Left arms will swing around the wicket. So I don't think it will disappear as a as an overall skill. I think there's too many too many uses for it. Well, on what just just on the wobble ball, we are already starting to see players be able to go between a wobble ball and swing now. Granted, they don't seem to swing the ball as much afterwards, but there certainly is that ability, I think, um, to be able to go through the two. And I think that will grow because there's no reason why you can't have, you know, a Muhammad Asif or Stuart Clark type bowler who has four or five different options available to them. Those sorts of bowlers will still swing it as well. Ben says, what does world cricket look like in 20 years? I would assume that the IPL is, you know, 50% bigger maybe 50% more teams and 50% more games. I would think it's even possible that they're more than that, uh, that we have a couple of other strong overseas leagues by that point as well, whether it be Major League Cricket or Big Bash gets its act together or the 100 gets its act together, whatever whatever that may be, I don't know. Uh, and that the owners have more and more control and the boards realize that what they said in play was uh, they were never going to be able to get the most out of. Um, I think it, World Cups t- uh, one day in T20s will still exist. I would assume in the next 20 years, cricket gets in the Olympics. I think women's cricket will be a lot bigger, uh, but it will be league-based as well, but with World Cups. Test cricket, I think test cricket's biggest chance now is if someone does buy it and privatize it. I don't think it can last as a you know as a regular competition in any other way. Um, and so from that perspective, I would think that it's either private test cricket or it's almost like first-class cricket where it exists um, but is so sort of in the background that it doesn't particularly matter. That's off the top of my head anyway. <laughs> uh, Neron says, uh, did you follow the Harman Preet uh, core incident? I did. I, I talked about that. Uh, what did you think of her punishment? I thought her original punishment was pathetic. Uh, they then gave her a slightly better suspension but still not very good. Um is there a huge difference between what she did versus uh, what Ashwin Virat and KL did in South Africa, uh, using, accusing Supersport of manipulating the DRS? Um, well, they weren't specifically going after another team of the ICC, which I know isn't that big a deal. No, no, what she did was far worse because uh, it happened at a point after the game when there was no reason for her. I, I mean, we're talking about the combination of the two different things. What she did with the um, Bangladesh captain is absolutely unacceptable. What she did with the stumps, I think we've seen a lot more. Um, I, I think that is more of a heated the moment thing. You should probably get a small pe- penalty, maybe a fine, you know, but quite a high fine for that. But you should certainly be penalized for You shouldn't be able to talk to someone on the dais in that way. There's just no reason to be able to do that. Um, and also, 
in, in what she was saying, she's inferring cheating by the umpires. That is a little bit different to the whole super sport thing. And to be honest, I kind of agree with the whole Ashwin, Vera and Kale thing. I'm not saying that super sport were manipulating DRS. What I'm saying is we've gone out of our way to have independent umpires. We've gone out of our way to have technology into the game. And then we don't have independent um, uh, DRS rulings. We, you know, there have been, so if you watch enough cricket, I would say once every five games, there is a situation, and this usually, you get to see this more in a test match, where something will happen in, in DRS, we won't be completely sure of it, the, 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 the thing will, will go out, and then afterwards, there'll be another angle that will be found. Not saying all the camera crews or the producers around the world or directors are, are cheating or anything out, because they're trying to do these things very quickly. But it's also not their main job, it's a, it's a separate part of it. It should be an independent group. And so th- I think questioning, and, and you know, me and Sid Monger have both talked a lot about the fact that you generally get, called ball tam- ball, get caught ball tampering away from home, right? You know, a couple of players have been caught at home, but more often these days, it's away from home. You can't tell me that camera operators uh, in home grounds haven't seen it, and suddenly you only need to do it when you're touring. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. So I do think there's an issue with all of that, and I don't know how you fix it. Um, I would say that because Supersport do not have a contract with the ICC directly in that kind of way, that it's a bit more of a gray area, whereas what Harmanpreet did is not a gray area. It was unacceptable. She shouldn't have done it. She probably should have got a bigger suspension than she did. Um, they, it looked like they were going to let her off almost completely. So I think they pulled it back from there. Neron says, Astel Christchurch 2002 versus Sankakara Hobart 2007 versus Tendulkar Chennai 1999 versus any other great innings in losing causes. You know, one that doesn't get talked about a lot was Ponting's 100 at the Oval in 2009. Which I always thought was magnificent. Um, losing causes. Hmm. Uh, Virat's hundred at Adelaide in the in the fourth innings is one that instantly comes to my mind. There, um, I think England won in Pisara, didn't they? Um, there's another one I'm thinking of though, where I was in Asia for a Test match. Someone made uh, made a hundred. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> feel like there's a lot out there i think if you go back traditionally there'd probably be a bunch against the west indies i think there was i want to i'm not sure if he made 100 in this game but i think that alan border played two innings against the west indies uh where he basically was the only person who could stand up against them and make runs in one test i'm trying to remember where that was that's one that instantly sort of comes to my mind as an innings that was incredible um aubrey faulkner's 100 at I want to say the MCG was renowned as like this incredible, you know, knock. And then obviously Victor Trumper came out and I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back, but I'm pretty sure Australia won that test quite easily in the end. Um, i trying to think if there's any other, I, I mean, there must be some great Shibner and Chandrapal uh, knocks where they, where they lost their games as well. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch off the top of my head. Andy Flower would probably have a couple, wouldn't he? As well. Vivek says, thoughts on how India should structure their lower middle order, six to nine for the ODI World Cup. It's a delicate balance between strengthening their batting and still having this strike ability to get 10 wickets uh, against Australia or England. You'd have to go back because I did like a six-part series or five-part series on on India. You'd have to go back to have a look. Uh, I kind of think they don't quite have the strike bowling capability, especially with the, the squad that they've picked. 
to be able to have five or four, four and a half genuine strike bowlers. And so you could go down that sort of New Zealand, South Africa model of having, of having them as um, basically just going, well, number seven, we're not even going to have a, a batter. And in India's case, you would still have Judasia. Um, so you wouldn't, it wouldn't be quite as bad in, in, in that sort of situation. And then pick your best strike bowlers. But I'm not sure that they have four out-and-out strike bowlers in one-day cricket. So I don't know if they can create the same kind of pressure that we've seen with you know South Africa, Pakistan, New, New Zealand at times. So from, the, from that point of view, I think you have to go the other option, which is you take Boomer in, um, you take, I don't know, either... Uh, cool deep or Shami or Siraj, and you go all in with the all round talent, and it's you know fantastic and weird, and you see how it goes, and you know you have a situation where you have maybe what would you have Hardik, Akshar, Jadeja, uh, well they don't have Ashwin, but you know if you had Ashwin again, you know you would have all those guys, and you would just sort of mix and match your your last thirty overs from that. It's not perfect. Um, but because of Jadeja and Aksha, you do have that uh, option. You know, Shadul batting at nine in that sort of a lineup, perhaps. Um, but yeah, I'd have to go back through. You know, all it's a that that's a really really hard thing. But my my main thought is when you talk about strike ability, I'm just not sure that India has a natural strike ability within their lineup at the moment, or 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 has in any of these tournaments. And I think that is a bigger issue. The Dika says, say the average wagon wheel listener went to a time machine to play in 1700s Hambledon, would we do well with the knowledge of 200 years of cricket technique or would the rules and conditions of the time hold us back? Oh, you'd smash them everywhere, I would think. Um, you would struggle with, I mean, you're used to the ball coming out from up high and it's now coming out from down low, right? You know, it's underarm bowling. So as we've seen with baseballers trying to hit softball pitches, it is weird that that mix. Um, but you would hit through the line. You would hit to the leg side where they wouldn't have as many fielders. You would sweep a lot more. Um, and, you know, for the lob bowlers, you would probably, your power, you know, your ability to hit across the line, I would have thought would make the lob bowlers a lot more nervous against you, especially those early lob bowlers. Maybe, maybe not the, the later expert lob bowlers, but I think those early lob bowlers, I think, you know, you and Adika personally would smash. Um, what else? I, I think the, you know, the the understanding of footwork and when how to go forward and how to go back, and also how to use your feet, um, you know, would really upset those bowlers because they weren't used to that. You know, they they were using all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's batting, bowling. Well, bowling you probably struggle right because if you bowled over arm, they no ball you. So I don't know if you'd be. I think you'd be a pretty poor bowler. Um, so I think you, you might be the, uh, Nadika, you might be the best batter of 1794, uh, um, but you might be just a very ordinary bowler because what, what could you do underarm? You could do an underarm knuckle ball, maybe split finger. Maybe, I don't know if that would even do anything. You could probably put more revolutions on the ball than those guys would have just because they were probably putting little bits of revolution on. Does that help? I don't know if that helps. It's a fascinatingly weird question. I love it. Ditcher says, are you going to come to India for the World Cup? Uh, uh, I would say no. 
it's August, isn't it? It's looking very, very unlikely. I'm waiting for some, I've had some offers, uh, but nothing that is going to pay for the trip. I haven't got a sponsor on. I think that would have been the other thing if we got a major sponsor for the site. We've got some smaller sponsors for the site. And, you know, thank you to, you know, uh, Wicket Cricket Manager and, and a few of the others that might be coming back. Uh, Manscaped came back uh, recently as well. And um, we've got another another one with Surfshark um, coming up. But nothing, nothing you know, uh, majorly changing. Um, so I would say that means I will do it from home. Uh, mood boards like the ones we did for the T20 World Cup. Yes, I think that's the plan. We will do mood boards, but we'll also do standalone videos. We've actually, I've already got almost a roster of videos that will go up during the tournament. Uh, you know, the team, uh, me and the team will be getting together soon to discuss a few other things. Um, I actually, I started um, doing some stuff today, uh, which is the um, uh, the double century season on World Cups. And if you're on my Twitter account, you can actually go and see some of the, the clips I found from some of the old World Cups. It is. So I do think we'll do a bunch of stuff from some of the other world, uh, other World Cups as well. Um, but yeah, I, I would think we do mood board. Whether we do mood board every day or not, I don't know. But the aim would probably to tr- be to try and do it every day. Um, again, you know, finances play a part, family plays a part, all those sorts of things. But if you're asking right at the moment, I'd love to do a, a mood board from the beginning of the World Cup to the end of the World Cup. Um, and w- even if we don't do that, I think we will have a video every day, regardless of that. But that is the aim. Oh, if you don't, by the way, if you don't know what a mood board is, especially if you're a podcast listener, um, we basically just do a live show at the end of the day where we, you know, use clips and use food, uh, you know, graphs and everything to try and explain what happened in the game, why it mattered, and all those sorts of things. They're kind of a little bit like the videos that we make generally. Except we do them live, um, and obviously there's a lot of reacting to press conferences coming through and me stuttering more and all those good things. Satchmo says, in the feud between Ian Chapel and Ian Botham, who do you sympathise, or is it with n- neither of them? <laughs> I yeah, couldn't give a shit. Um, the one thing I would say is that like Ian Chapel was like an Australian Test captain at that point, and Ian Botham was 18, and a you know obviously a good young cricketer, young professional cricketer, but. Like, if an 18-year-old bothered me and I was a 34-year-old, whatever Chappelle was at that time, test captain, just think I would have shrugged it off and moved on. And the fact that that hasn't happened and that they've continued this feud for so many years is, it's kind of, I mean, I was going to say it's baffling. It's not baffling because I've met both the people involved and I can see why it would happen. Um, Yeah, I suppose people get into these sorts of things. I, I mean, I... Certainly have people that I don't like in the industry. I don't think there's anyone I would like charge in a car park, though. Maybe there is, and I've just forgotten about them. Um, if, if, you know, it would be impossible to sympathize with either of them. I haven't watched the documentary. I don't, maybe I will. I, I don't know. Part of me just does monumentally just not give a shit at all. Um, there's a, there's a um, YouTube page. Might actually be John Boyce. This one might be Secret Base, uh, the SB Nation one, where they do beef history. And and there are some great beefs in cricket that I don't think are as pu- you know public as they could be. You know, the Gilchrist Shane Warm one is a you know a really really interesting um, uh, side effect. There's also um, Akash Chopra and Shikhar Dhawan is another one that I don't think is talked about enough. Um, you know, so there are some uh, we're talking about teammates there, but also opposition players who you know absolutely despise each other. Um, but I don't know. There's something about two old men still caring enough about that sort of stuff that it just feels 
stupid. Uh, let's take a break here. And then after the break, uh, we will come back and we will do a little bit of, uh, we'll do more Patreon questions. There's Swagger Wheel. And I'm Jared Gimbo. Of course, we'll be doing more Patreon. What, what else, what on earth else would we ever do? Get ready to take charge of your favorite leagues in Wicket Cricket Manager. Control the game, buy and sell players, and train them to victory. Play against friends, strangers, or challenge yourself. With your cricket knowledge, become the master on the pitch of Wicket Cricket Manager. This episode is brought to you by AT&T Fiber. And in honor of their straightforward pricing, we're going to have a straightforward moment, just you and me. Be honest. When you're listening to ads like this one right here, you don't just sit there, ears glued and waiting to make a note of interesting offers, do you? Of course not. You're checking out your fantasy stats or catching up on the scores or doing any number of other things you want to do. I get it. I'm not fully paying attention to this ad either. I've got the game playing in a little window on my laptop as I read this. It's called multitasking. And now that we're being straightforward with each other, here's something else that can be totally straightforward. Your internet. No, seriously, because when you become a gagillionaire with AT&T Fiber, you don't just get super fast internet speeds, you get a bill that's straightforward all the way. Equipment fees, price increase at 12 months, not a thing here. Everything is straightforward the way it should be. And that's it. You can go ahead and check on your fantasy team now. Straightforward is better. No equipment fees, no data caps, no price increase at 12 months. Live like a gagillionaire with AT&T Fiber. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Welcome back to Wagon Wheel. Jared Kimber still with you. Ian says, Jack Russell was a brilliant wicket keeper, but had some extraordinary routines. Hanging a tea bag off a washing line so you use the same one for days. Uh, not allowing teammates or anyone else to know where he lived. Wearing the same hat from debut to retirement, etc. Uh, who else can you think of with really unusual superstitions? I suppose the, the most famous one is Neil McKenzie, the South African player who had the toilet seat thing uh, where he needed all the toilet seats to be in a particular um, situation. They started taping cricket bats to the ceiling. Um, that's the one that always comes to mind. I mean, I mean, you know, cricketers are quite superstitious. I think it's a sport that allows for more time. So there is a lot of, you know, not shaving on tours, um, keeping the same underwear on tours. Uh, uh, oh, sorry keeping the same underwear over and over again, which I suppose Michael Jordan did a similar thing to that. Um, what else? Uh, those those sorts of things. Uh, but yeah, Neil McKenzie, uh, if, if you don't know about it, it's worth looking up uh, the sorts of things that he did. And, I, and to be honest, I don't know what Jack Russell had, but we certainly know with um, Neil McKenzie that he, I think he's talked about having mental health issues. Not, I don't know if it was OCD he specifically had, or but I think he has talked about that before. But if you look at Steve Smith, the, all the different, you know, uh, moving of it. There's a lot of bowlers too who I think it was Mornay Morkel who used to have like a spin move at the end of his bowling action. And if he got it wrong, he'd like do a double circle. Um, so there's lots of little things like that uh, that we have seen. There's, of course, you know, people borrowing bats at, uh, for important games because they, they borrowed a bat off someone once and that worked for them. Um, yeah, those ones off the top of my head. I can't think of any great older ones, but I'm sure someone like Abhishek Mukherjee would know some of the great older ones. Um, but yeah, it's a there's a lot of in, in some ways. There's so many pecu- so many peculiarities within cricket that 
there's probably really obvious ones here, but they actually just feel normal to me because I've heard them so many times. Uh, ben says, I've never watched baseball outside of Moneyball, but I'm starting to see things about Shohei Otani doing completely unheard of things. Could you put his recent achievements into a cricket perspective? Yeah, so I think someone on Patreon answered this, and I think they were more or less correct. Um, imagine Pat Cummins is bowling with, hmm, I think of the right batter. Um Manus Levashane, perhaps, I think was the one that they mentioned in that comment. I'm trying to think if there's someone more apt than that. Devin Conway's batting, perhaps, you know, someone who's maybe not quite in the top five, um, but in the upper echelon of, of batters. And that's what Otani's doing. We've only really ever had this happen once in cricket. Well, Aubrey Faulkner's an interesting one in that he probably wasn't too far away from doing that sort of thing. But Aubrey Faulkner never really matched his batting and his bowling that much in the same games or even in the same series. He didn't bat particularly well in England, is my memory, but batted incredibly well in Australia, but didn't bowl particularly well in Australia, but um, bowled incredibly in England. So, but he certainly was someone who was probably top five, top 10 batters in the world. Well, certainly top 10 batters in the world Um, and would have been top five bowler in the world, I would have thought. Maybe not. And then you've got Imran Khan in the 80s who, Averages over. I say this a lot, and no one ever listens or reads this correctly. I always say that for a ten-year period, Imran Khan averaged over fifty with the bat and under twenty with the ball, and everyone goes, "That wasn't Imran Khan's record." But it was for a decade, which is like a lot of time. Uh, I wouldn't have thought though Imran Khan was ever in the top ten best batters. I would have thought he would have struggled to even crack the top twenty, but he would have been around that twenty to twenty-five amount. Um, but certainly in, in the, and he wasn't always the best bowler in the world, but he was for a good period of that. Um, and then eventually becomes, you know, more of a captain and a medium pacer and everything else. Um, and then you've got Sobers. We don't really know how good Sobers was because we know his best skill was probably left arm pace. And he probably averages around 27, 28 bowling left arm pace. But his overall average is uh, expanded by the fact that he bowled left arm finger spin and wrist spin at times and wasn't as good as either of those as he was um, as a seam bowler. Um, so Otani is... In a sport that doesn't have as many all-rounders as, as cricket, and nowhere near as many, we've actually—I've actually done an episode with the baseball expert about um, Otani, probably about two years ago, just as he was starting to break through. Um, but in, in, a, in a sport that doesn't have all-rounders, he's actually managed to be a better all-rounder than we've had from all, uh, a sport with all-rounders. Um, I don't think we've ever had anyone at this at this mark. Perhaps early Botham is one that is worth looking at. Um, you know, maybe for a couple of years, because Shohei hey, hasn't done it for his whole career either. And there might be a period where Imran's batting is good and he's still by far away that, you know, the best um, bowler in the world at that same time. So I, I suppose that's like it. But, you know, again, for, for, for Otani to do what Imran did over a 10-year period would be incredible as well. Rudra says, in 2019 or 20, I came up with those top four Indian greatest paces. Kapil Dev, Zahi Khan, Srinath, and Ishan Sharma. Um, I might have put too much weight on a number of wickets. Uh, what would your list look like today? Uh, I would certainly have Bumrah in the top four. Uh, and I think Shami is a better bowler than Zahir Khan. And no, I'm a massive fan of Zahir Khan. And every time I go back and look at his record, it actually hurts me his average ended up that high. He bowled just in the wrong period. But I don't think he's as good a bowler as Mohamed Shami. Um, so yeah, I would have thought those two come straight in with Zahir Khan fifth and Ishan Sharma is interesting of course you know once called him the most improved cricketer in the world and I think that's broadly accurate and I do think he changed his game but also his record did get better when everyone's record got better I think he he has probably ended up with a better bowling average than Zahir Khan 
if Zahi Khan bowled in the same conditions that Ishan Sharma had, I think Zahi Khan would have had much better uh, condition, uh, much better figures. And Srinath was incredible. Um, I mean, Boomerang, the only thing with Boomerang is maybe just he hasn't played enough. Um, but I would have thought that uh, something would have to go wrong with him physically for him not to make that list. Um, and I suppose just because it's a shorter career, there's a possibility of that happening. Oh, Rudra again. Uh, from 2011 to 2014, India underwent a period of transition uh, in tests, but all formats. They lost uh, eight in a row overseas. Yeah, I covered a bunch of those, I think. Um, failed to win a winnable match against South Africa and New Zealand, and then crumbled in a heap against England after being 1-0 up, and they couldn't take a wicket in Australia. What did they do right and what did they do wrong in that period? Uh, and with India going through uh, a period of transition now with a lot of players who are young now being older, what are they doing right and wrong? Huge question, Rudra. Um, what did they do wrong in that period? They didn't have four seamers, five seamers, seven seamers, eight seamers that could take wickets all around the world. I think that was probably their biggest issue. Um, they were probably carrying some batters coming to the end. Although, you know, I don't think their batting's got massively better in this era than it was in that era. Um, but they didn't have the world's best spinner. Uh, they didn't have the world's best all-rounder. Um, they really should have done all those things. It was silly of them not to do them. I think sometimes that's what it comes down to, right? I, I don't remember. I remember thinking they were a frustrating side. I don't remember thinking that they were an idiotic side. They just probably, I mean, I remember Dhoni, I can't remember which series it was, but it feels like it was around that period, just going on and on about, oh, we don't have a bowl, a, a, um, seam bowling all-rounder. And look, Dhoni's not like a historian of the game. But yeah, most people have never had a seam bowling around, right? You know, you make a fairly strong argument that um, West Indies haven't had one since Sobers, right? Australia didn't have one that they could rely upon outside of, you know, a little bit of Dougie Walters or Shane Watson action or Steve Wall when his hamstrings were there between Keith Miller and, and Cameron Green, right? They, these people don't exist very much. So I do think there was, you you know, at a certain point, you just have to look at what the side is. Um, and I think in in that case, it's just not as strong as it is now. They've got more depth and more options available to them. And I'd have to look at what Harbhajan was doing towards that. I think he was still playing around that period, wasn't he? Um, when did he finish? <laughs> um, but Akshar might be a better spinner in Asia than he is, although it's hard to tell because Akshar's had the absolute best pitches of all time to bowl on. But Akshar can bat better than Harbhajan, could bat better than Anil Kumble as well. You know, there's certainly the depth and the quality of players is vastly different than it was in the era that you're talking about. Uh, Patrick says, what attributes would you look for in a death bowler? I want my death bowler to be willing to play a bluff. I want my death bowler to probably, if they're slow ball dependent, to have massive revolutions on the slow ball. I want my death bowler to probably have three quality deliveries that they can bowl at the death. So it may be the straight Yorker, it may be the bouncer, it may be the back of the hand slow ball. But I want them to have three distinct deliveries um, because it's just that little bit harder for the batter to guess against them, I think, in that kind of way. Uh, they've got to be really sure on themselves. It's not something that you can do if you're not sure of yourself. Um, and you either need to be someone who really reads batters really carefully or the complete opposite. And he's someone who doesn't think about the batters at all and just comes in and bowls. Um, so, yeah, I, th I would think those are the main things that you would like. Um, I, th I always think that 
bowling bounces, I mean, doesn't work in all parts of cricket, of course, but bowling bounces at death is actually quite a handy thing, but it's a hell of a gutsy thing as well. They got the guys who can bowl bounces at the death with the other skills that I mentioned and usually the sorts of people I want. But also, I go back to that Dwayne Bravo thing. Dwayne Bravo is a good death bowler, but nowhere near as good as his reputation was. But why? what made Dwayne Bravo such a great death bowler for teams to have was he wanted to bowl at the death. And there are lots of guys who are good at it who don't want to bowl at the death. Josh says, which team would win the World Cup if they, uh, if they played bring back cow manure pitches? You, you would be looking at probably Australia if you add Hazelwood, Stark. Uh, you'd probably play Boland. Uh, you, you know, tall, hit the wicket bowlers would be impossible on those pitches. One, you know, watch Curtly Ambrose on a wacker witch, wicket where uh, there are cracks on it. That's kind of what the Australian bowls would be like from that height at that speed. Um, I'm trying to think if ha- it would assist spinners, but I think it would be more unplayable for seamers. And you, I think you want the taller seamers to hit the deck. Um, I'm not sure how you would face Joel Garner or Glenn McGrath, um, you know, Ollie Robinson, those sorts of bowlers on those wickets. I think it would just be absolutely impossible to be able to play. Uh, Josh says, you said in a recent Uncovered episode that New Zealand is a fourth-tier team for the uh, ODI World Cup. I did. What is the uh, the following team's biggest weakness? Conway, Allen, Young, Daryl Mitchell, Tom Latham, Glenn Phillips, Jimmy Neesham, Mitchell Santner, Hen- uh, Matt Henry, um, Tim Southey, um, what's his name? Trent Bolt. All right, what is this team's biggest weakness? They've only got four bowlers. <laughs> it's their biggest week. You want Jimmy Neesham to bowl 10 overs a game in, in, um, in India? Come on, man. What, what are we, what's happening? And if you're not getting many out of um, uh, Phillips either, are you? Um, let's just have a look at Jimmy Neesham's record everywhere in one-day cricket because now I'm fascinated. Um, Jimmy Neesham has described himself to me on Twitter, and but I think to everyone in the world, as a batting all-rounder. Uh, in ODI cricket, he has an average of 35 going at more than a runner ball. And I would say that majority of the times when he has bowled, those would have been in favorable conditions. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, what do we want? We don't want his test career. We want his ODI career and we want his bowling. Uh, I just want to see if he's bowled much in Asia. Um where are we? Asia, 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 Asia. Yeah, he's worse in Asia. Um, he's more expensive in Asia, I should say. Um, he's played 12 games there. He has bowled 84 overs in 12 games. Yeah. I mean, he, I, you can't take him as your, as your fifth bowler. They didn't take him as their fifth bowler in England. I'd be shocked if they're going to do that. There. So there's, there's my first issue. My second issue is that they have no strike spinner. Right, they they don't have a spinner who can uh, take wickets with the ball um, at all. Um, so I'll just have a look at Mitchell Santner's ODI record, and I, I like Santner. I think he's a fascinating cricketer in many ways, but he averaged thirty eight in one day cricket. So that is going to play a part. I don't think you necessarily need the world's best spinner um, in order to um, win this World Cup, but you do need spinners who can take wickets, and in Asia. In 14 ODIs, he has a bowling average of 60, which actually sounds... No, this must be test cricket. My God, this is one-day cricket. No. How is that possible? 
Sorry, everyone. Live reactions here of Jared Kimber reading Stats Guru. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely shocked at that. Uh, yeah, average is 51 in, in India. You can't have if you can't have Nisham as a frontline bowler if Santon's not going to take wickets as well. So I think that's a huge issue with that team. You've also got in Allen and Young two guys who've played what 35 combined One Day Internationals. So you're putting a lot of pressure on two guys that aren't um, as tested. You know, Allen is still a work in progress. I don't think he's. A, I, I think he, he would be a very good One Day player in England's team where they have a lot of batting depth and you could just throw him out there to average, what, 30 to 33 with a strike rate of 110, 115. Um, I'm not sure if that works as well in, in the New Zealand team. Having said that, looking at your particular New Zealand team here, uh, it does bat a little bit deeper. So I do think you have, you know, uh, it, it's not as big an issue as when they go in with seven, uh, when they go in with Santa at seven, which is probably what they're going to do. Um, but yeah, I, I, no, I don't think they can go in with Nisham at seven. And then what? He bowls six overs and Phillips bowls four overs. Santner doesn't take any wickets. You've got no wickets in the middle, maybe with a good economy from Santner. And the other two probably aren't going to take a lot of wickets and are going to go for runs. Can't see how that one's going to work, Josh. Oh. Oh. James says using Jason Gillespie's 201 not out as the archetype of a statistically outstanding test batting performance by a specialist bowler. Can have there been any comparable test bowling performance by specialist batters? Michael Clark, six for nine. Yeah, I, I mean, the the famous one is of course Alan uh, Alan Border taking uh, eleven wickets in a test, and I suppose Michael Bevan taking a ten wicket haul as well. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there are any other batters who took huge. The the Michael Clark six for nine is a really really interesting one. Uh, what did Joe Root take in India as well? He had ridiculous figures, didn't he? Maybe not quite so five for eight or something. Um, those are the ones that come to mind. There'd probably be some in history, though. I would have thought there'd be some historical um, versions of that. But I think Michael Clark, uh, Michael Clark, I think Alan Border taking a 10 wicket haul against the unbeatable West Indies is, you know, all things considered, maybe more surprising than Gillespie's 201. I'm not sure if that's true, but that, you know, Bangladesh pitch was made for someone with no backlift. Um, I'm not sure you could make a pitch that was made for Alan Border's bowling. Kind of, kind of looked like he was fighting <laughs> physics when he came in. There was something there's something about Alan Border that he was obviously a very good athlete. Um for those who don't know, he could throw left arm, right arm play baseball. Um but everything all of his movements were kind of really robotic. I remember I used to copy his batting when I bat left handed, I was always, always bat like Alan Border and there was kind of staccato way that he went about things. His bowling was a bit the same. Um but yeah that's the one I, I wrote about that the other day so it's on top of my head. But Michael Bevan one is another that that comes to mind. Um, I can't think of like any Mark Butcher eightfers or anything, right? There must be a part-time swing bowler who took an absolute bunch of wickets somewhere. That, and I feel like there's an England spatter who did it, but I I don't have any name on the top of my head. Um, so I'll probably I'll stick with Border. And I suppose if you want Bevan, you can throw Bevan in there. Vikas says, given that Pandit and Jadeja will play at 6 and 7 in the World Cup, and 9, 10, 11 will be Kuldeep, Boomer, and Siraj, uh, who would you pick at 8, Shami or Shadol? One makes batting stronger, look stronger. The other one makes bowling more strong. Yeah, I think I'd go with Shami just because, if that's the lineup you're going with, um, and obviously, you know, we talked about completely different lineups before Vikas, but if that's the lineup you're going with, I would have thought that you go with Shami, especially in the must-win games, because that gives you 
it gives you cool deep boom right and shammy who i like his strike bowlers i'm at siraj i'm not gonna look up his record but uh i i you know siraj could be a strike bowler even if he's not i know he's in the IPL, he's had weird years where no one's hit him and other years where he's taken lots of wickets. So I'm not actually sure where I sit on the Mohamed Siraj is a strike bowler conversation. Um, but yeah, I do think from that perspective that um, I would just go with that lineup because um, you've got Jadadra at seven. And then, yeah, I, I think I like that more. I mean, of your lineup, um, I, I might, might, might go in a completely different way. I probably, I think if I was, Doing it with India after everything that's happened, I'd probably go with an extreme. So I'd probably go with almost five strike bowlers if it's physically possible. Um, or I would go with, like, as I said before, nine batters or nine people with batting talent. I, I think I would go with one of those um, and try and take it, try and take it that way. But I can understand why. I mean, it's most probably not going to happen. It's not how India have been playing their cricket. Uh, there was one more that I got here. Oh, actually, there was two more. Uh, Ashwin. Um, sent one in who said, uh, sorry, we don't have the graphic for YouTube, but he said, when it comes to all-time best batters from Pakistan, most people mention me and dad, Inzaman, Yunus, and Baba, but Muhammad Yusuf, Yusuf really gets a mention in this conversation. Uh, but when, when I look at the stats, he averages better than all those. So one thing I would say about Muhammad Yusuf is that he did play in a very, very friendly batting era. Um, so did Yunus Khan, of course. Um, uh, Javed, me and dad, I, I think he's just another level than everyone uh, that you've got on this list. Although Bubba's obviously playing magnificent cricket, and who knows if he can ever get to that. Um, I I think I think when it comes to Muhammad Yusuf, um, that he did, he was a little bit overshadowed by by you know the uh, the group before him and the group after him, and so he does get you know that sort of the Inzi Yunus Mizbah vortex that he was sort of in the middle of um he also ended up with 7500 runs with some of these other players you've talked about scored a lot more runs and i'm just i just want to have a look at uh yeah so he had a 12-year uh career because again i think and there's nothing wrong with that i mean it's it's absolutely fine and but i do think there's a few other players out there that have um a better career but he just never really garnered garnered attention and i think that it, it's. I'm not 100% sure why that is because I think most people back in the day would have said he was a fantastic player, but he didn't quite get in that next level group. And Eunice, it took Eunice a long time to get in that group as well. Um, and I don't know if it's coming off the back of me and dad and in Zaman, if, if that had anything to do with it uh, as well. Um, and I just wanted to check something because he made runs in England Uh he did struggle in India and Australia. So, yeah, you, just, you know, from a reputation point of view, it does actually help to make runs in all of those different places. Um, let's have a look. Yeah, so he struggled in Australia and South Africa. Um, so he didn't mind the lateral moving ball, but probably didn't like the pace and bounce as much, which is fairly normal. Um, look, it looks like a good record. My, my, I, I've never... I can understand why you feel the way that you do, but I wonder if Eunice just outplayed him as in played for longer. And sometimes those things do matter. You know, the amount of time that you play does eventually come up. Um, average 65 at home and 40 by away. It's interesting. Um, uh, but yeah, so uh, look, he was a fantastic player. I, I don't think there's 
I don't think you get any arguments for me that he was a fantastic player. Um, I'm trying to think if, just have a look at that. I'm still not sure that I think he's a better player than any of the players you mentioned, though. He's certainly not better than me and Dad. Inzamam played in a much tougher era. Uh, Yudis Khan would be an interesting one. And Baba, obviously, still in development, so we don't know. And Bloody Bugger said, watch a video titled Australia versus West Indies, 1960-61, end of series presentation. The, creed, the crowd cheering for He's a Jolly Good Fellow, uh, for Frank Worrell made me smile. Um, uh, thoughts on the series? Yeah, so the Australian, yeah, Australia was a country that you couldn't move to if you weren't white. Um, and yet Frank Worrell became an absolute hero. The whole West Indies team on that tour became absolute heroes at that time. Uh, you know, there are reports of hundreds of thousands of people going out and seeing them on the streets. But I think uh, what Bloody Bugger is saying is that that it's possible that it saved Test cricket. Worrell and Benno agreed to play attacking cricket as the 1950s were so boring. I think having a look at the figures in the 1960s, um, and I need to bring them up again, I don't think it was attacking in the way that we kind of would think of it as attacking now. And while that series, I think, played a part, England wasn't involved in it. Um, and it was a one-off, um, you know, in, in that kind of way. But the quality of the cricket, you know, having a tie, all those sorts of things certainly played a part. But I, I don't think it was just that one test that that changed the sort of the direction of the game. Um, I, you know, I think there was maybe, an, you know, the 50s just didn't really work for anyone, for batters or for bowlers. So I think there was always going to be a bit of a change from that perspective as well. All right, that's the end of the Patreons. I will get to the Super Chats in a moment, but you're listening to Jared Kimber on Wagon Wheel. And uh, for now, let's play this ad. We're going to build a train so big, it can't be stopped. From the executive producers of Power. We got enemies eyeing us, cops clocking us. Comes the new season of Power Book 4, Force. Tommy Egan is the linchpin to breaking down all of these gangs. Egan's too dangerous to be left alive. Power Book 4, Force. Game over. Premieres Friday, September 1st, only on Stars and the Stars app. Sergeant and Mrs. Smith, you are going to love this house. Is that a tub in the kitchen? There's no field manual for finding the right home. But when you do, USAA Homeowners Insurance can help protect it the right way. Restrictions apply. All right. Well, there's no super chats, actually. So um, I'll just take a couple of random ones uh, from the group um, and see who else. Yeah, I've got a couple here. But yeah, if you do want to put a super chat in, feel free. Uh, anyway, this is Josh Little. Oh, helps if I actually take it off the tiny screen, put it on the big screen for you and me. It's Josh Little overrated. For someone seen as Ireland's next big thing, he seems to be hit around the park way too often. <laughs> that doesn't mean he's not Ireland's next big thing. They're, you know, still a team in development. Um, look, he's when he got picked in the IPL, I said he's still in development. He's not ready yet. Uh, he, you know, he's got fantastic skills. You know, the the raw um, ability that he has is quite clearly there. I don't think there's any anything to say. Um, I, I don't think I don't think there's anything uh, that worries me about him. He bowls at the death, and so he is going to get hit for runs every now and again. And, you know, he's not what I would say. I almost think his best option is maybe bowling one over in the power play and a couple in the middle and then one at the death. But he probably hasn't played for a team where that is the the, the best use of him at the moment. And so because of that, you know, he's 
playing around the, you know, it plays more as a death bowl, especially in Ireland. Um, but also when it comes to the IPL, that's as an overseas player, that's more likely what he's going to do. But he bowls 90 miles an hour in his left arm and he's reasonably skillful and reasonably smart. Just needs to get a bit more experience and work out his game a little bit more. And if his body can hold up, he'll be a fantastic bowler. Um, and if it doesn't, you know, he'll be another guy who didn't quite make it. That's kind of how it works. Uh, Keshav says, how do you rate the Aussie newbies in Hardy, Sanger, and Spencer? Well, Spencer's interesting because, you know, outside of a big bash season and a handful of other games, um, including the 100, um, we, you know, just haven't seen a lot of him. There's a bit of Dirk Nanus to him, maybe a slightly more accurate Dirk Nanus, but there's something about, well, you know, being a big muscular left-arm bowler, maybe Brett Schultz-type bowler, that is a little bit different. Most of our left-arm bowlers seem to, you know, be more lithe and more uh, more naturally athletic rather than solidly athletic or, or muscularly athletic. I don't know if that's a thing. Um, but he's really, really interesting. Obviously, Aaron Hardy, they are... Oh, he's probably... He couldn't have a better run, Aaron Hardy, in that in some ways it might be difficult to get in the team now that Cameron Green's around because Cameron Green took all the hype. Um, Aaron Hardy's going to come in behind him. If Aaron Hardy came first there would have been a lot of hype about him as a, as an all-rounder as well. And, a, you know, again, in a, in, a, in a culture that hasn't had them, his first-class batting average is 42, and his first-class first bowling average is 29. I don't know if he has the raw bowling skills of Cameron Green, but from the little I've seen him bowl, he maybe understands his bowling a little bit more than, than Green does. Um, and I'm not sure he quite has the same top-end batting ability as. Cameron Green, but as a number six, number seven, I think he, you know, if he if he averaged 36 or 37 in, in test cricket, based on the little bit I've seen of him, um, I, I wouldn't have a problem from that point of view. Uh, you know, as a as a limited overs cricketer, he hasn't made a lot of runs um, yet, you know, but he struck the ball pretty well in T20 cricket. Um, and his bowling's good enough, I suppose. Um, my memory of him is not bowling as much in T20 cricket as I would have liked, but in one-day cricket, I think his record's not too bad. Um, Jason Sang is a really interesting one. You know, I can't remember what tour it was, but, you know, as a very young player, he was talked up quite a bit um, and probably just hasn't made the runs in, you know, in professional cricket that he should have. I, I think they just think that he's one of those guys who has now worked it out and rather than waiting a little while for you know, it all to fully come together, you know, there's a chance to blood him. Um, it, it was funny because I was talking about him the other day, I think the um, the uh, the Wisdom magazine, um, Joe Harmon was doing something on Australians and I said, he, Sanger was one of, it looked like he was going to be another one of those lost batters where everyone talked him up as a younger player and, you know, he hadn't quite come through. Um, he hasn't made a white ball 100 yet. He hasn't played as much list A cricket as I probably would have thought he would have. He's been a good T20 player, but certainly not an above average T20 player. There was, you know, times when people would talk about his bowling. I don't think that that went up. But if he, I, I remember seeing him at 19, and it was quite clear that he was a very talented player. If he's been able to bring all that together, um, then there's absolutely no reason why, uh, you know, he can't be successful. But I don't think. He's going to be successful straight away, and it might be a bit of a long burn with him. But I, I don't see it as an issue of bringing him in and, and seeing how he goes. Sorup says, is there a reason why Derek Underwood and Chandra Seeker had a decent record in England, but Anil Kumble struggled? 
Covered pitches, lack of bowling support or flatter decks. Yeah, covered pitches would be the main reason I would have thought. Um, you know, it, it was different bowling spin in England up until what, 1980, I suppose you would say, 1985. After that, we do see more seam. They were never spin dominant, but, you know, they had guys like Hadley Barrowby and, you know, Jim Laker and Tony Locke and, you know, they, they had regular spin options. And it does feel once they started covering their wickets, they went to much more of a seam-dependent environment in, in England. So, you know, that there's that is po- the possible uh, part of the case. But also, I would have thought that Derek Underwood and Chandrasekhar were faster in their era than the other spinners compared to Kumble in his era. It's not that he wasn't a fast spinner, but I think they stood out more as faster spinners in their era than perhaps um, Kumble did in his which is a slight advantage they might have had. I don't know how that would have helped necessarily in England as much, um, but I would have thought overall that that could have played a part. But but yeah, the cover pitches, I would have thought, is, you know, I, I, still, I don't know if we have the stats on covered pitches versus uncovered pitches because I don't know if every time we, when we started putting covers on wickets, if they started recording which games had them. I haven't seen them if, if they do exist. But I do think that would be a really interesting thing to go back and have a look because I think that spinners specifically, um, if, if you played cricket on a covered wicket and you play cricket on an uncovered wicket, and I'm lucky enough to have played a lot of cricket on both as a spinner, I always felt that if you played on a wicket that was good for seamers and was covered, as a spinner, I didn't get much out of it. Because if I played on a wicket that was good for seamers that was uncovered, I was still very much in the game as well. So I do feel there is a difference there. Um, so maybe that uh, makes sense. Anyway, we have heaps of stuff coming out. If you haven't seen our Wahab Riaz video that we made the other day, um, really interesting looking back at his international career. We've got one on England selection with the whole Harry Brook thing coming out. Um, and as I said, absolute arseload of, of World Cup content and a really another really big video series, maybe even a couple of video series that we will have, I would hope, in early September. And then, and then we will probably by the end of September, we will start all in with our World Cup content of which, you know, every time me and Cheyenne talk, we come up with about three more ideas. So uh, there's a ton of stuff out there. Thank you everyone for supporting us, especially those on Patreon. And the, though no one sent a super chat today, generally we do get a lot of super chats. So thank you to everyone out there who does um, send a super chat as well. Thank you for your support. Remember to hit up the, our sponsors as well. Um, you know, they, uh, they're another reason that, you know, we can continue to make as many videos as we can. Um, and this has been Wagon Wheel. I will be Jared Kimber for some time now and I will speak to you again uh, next time. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Saina Payu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. If you are a podcaster who happens to waffle on and you need a way to cut down your long-form content, Memento FM is here to save the day. They turn your lengthy media into bite-sized chunks for even the most time-starved audience. Start using Memento FM today. 
Social Podcast Network.